This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning, then I have a great hunt. Deer didn't move like usual. Everybody's got to set up in this bedding thicket. Oh, it's saving the spot from the rut. It's a nice It's a 170. That was money. I think it's down right up there. 10 yards. Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Coming in your ear holes. And today we're talking with Cody Hoon with episode two of the Trail Cam series. And we're talking public land cams. You guys had uh, Cody on a couple months ago, and you guys absolutely blew the numbers up. Loved his episodes. I actually had him on back-to-back, which is really cool. Never done that with a guest. But Cody's extremely passionate about whitetail hunting, extremely passionate about about public land whitetail hunting. And uh, we dive deep in this episode on public land cams and where he's running them throughout the whole entire year. Before we get into that, let's get into the people that make this possible. And you guys know that that is Exodus Outdoor Gear. And they have the 8th anniversary sale going on right now. So huge congratulations to Exodus for being in the outdoor industry for 8 years. Um, I don't think people understand how big of an accomplishment that is because the outdoor industry is extremely hard to not only get into, but make it a company make it into. And they're doing it off their backs, direct to consumer, and uh, doing it high high standard so props to them but anyways as you guys know if you've been listening they're doing the 25 percent off site wide with using that code wl 
So this is from May 19th to June 12th. So there's still a lot, a lot of days in the game here. Um, so use that code WL. That'll save you 25% off, and that's good for anything on the whole entire site. So if you're looking for the render, their flagship cell camera, the absolute bulletproof mother load out there, that's going to be the render. That's going to be the one that has the viewing screen. You're going to get the five-year no BS warranty with that theft and damage coverage um, and if you get the uh, render security bundle with this code you can save 125 bucks guys if you're looking for the budget option they have the rival the new exodus rival um, if you use the code wl you can get one of those puppies for under 140 bucks guys that's a cell cam that is one of the best on the market with a five-year warranty um, and like i said i've turned these cams in for warranty and had new cams within four days so you're going to get a five-year warranty cell cam for 140 bucks by using that code WL. Um, make sure and use that code if you're going to do it. You support the Exodus. You also support the show. Don't forget, anything that you buy through there, you're going to get that five-year warranty on all their cameras. This is also That code is also good for the new MMT arrows, the custom tailor-built arrows specifically designed for your draw weight, your poundage, what kind of arrow you want to shoot, the weight, um, that's also there. You can get $70 off a dozen arrows with this code, guys. So do not miss out on the savings. Um, use code WL at checkout, and that'll get taken care of. All right, guys, let's get into the show. All right, well, we got a return guest on. We got Cody Hoon on tonight. How's it going, brother? That's fantastic, man. I'm, I'm great. I'm so happy to be back. I'm doing great and uh, super pumped already for this white yeah, test season. <laughs> sounds like there isn't a uh, very uh, – very few souls out there that did as much as scouting as you did in the off season. And I knew that you're going to be out there getting it. And now is the time of the year when a lot of people really start thinking, get the wheels turning back onto whitetail. Uh, we always make the joke, you know, the, the fireworks go off and then a lot of people start thinking, Oh crap, I need to get the bow out and stuff uh, <laughs> during that, that time of year. Um, we're about a month out from that, so people are starting to think about those trail cameras and stuff. So I wanted to have you on for the trail cam series to go over public land cams um, and your strategy throughout the year with those. But before we get in too deep, do a brief introduction of who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm Cody Hoon, and uh, I'm obsessed, absolutely obsessed with, with hunting public land. I'm out here in Iowa. I, I packed up my entire life, and traded in a, a, a whole other life and made a lot of sacrifices to, to come out here and chase just truly monstrous whitetails. And, and I, I put a disproportionate amount of time in than I probably should to chase these, these monster bucks. And, uh, you know, there's not, not a monster buck behind every tree, like everybody thinks, but if you really put your time in, there's some true giants out here. And I, and I think, uh, with my YouTube channel and whatnot, if anybody goes to that, they, they'll really see just by the thumbnails, they'll see the, the caliber of bucks that I get to chase and that I'm just always on. And man, I just, I love it. And I'm obsessed. And, and <laughs> my goal is just to bring other people into the fold and, and show them what public land is and can be and, and get them just as obsessed as I am. Maybe teach them something if I can. <laughs> yeah. The last episode we had got uh, really good reviews. So I wanted to have you on again. And uh, you are the guy to talk about public land cams. 
um, you know, being a hundred percent public and on giants all the time, utilizing trail cams. And, you know, you, you talked about long lining, um, last episode and, and, you know, and, you know, bread trailing back basically to these bucks. So I definitely wanted to get into that with, with the trail camera, but, um, let's get into, you know, it's this time of year, it's, uh, the summer months, you're trying to find a target buck. Where, where are you, where are you going to set your cams up here in the midsummer uh, to get those pictures of those velvet bucks? Yeah. So really simple. Um, and this will tie into the, the backtracking and the long lining, which we can get into later, but honestly, I'm putting them where 90% of other everybody else is. I'm putting them on, you know, the bean field edges, um, you know, the alfalfa fields, pretty much anywhere where you're going to really see, you know, a good amount of summer bucks. That's where I'm setting them. And that's, it's all just, I'm trying to take inventory and, you know, I know there's some areas where a lot of bucks will, will move off and you won't, you won't have the same bucks. And then there's other areas where some of them will stick around, but it, if you have enough cams like what I run, um, <laughs> where maybe you have two or three fields and you're putting two cameras, you know, on each end of the field, you can really get a solid idea of, it, you know, at least what bucks may be coming through in the rut, but also just what the caliber of deer you have in the area, the genetics, and uh, that's really what I like to do. And I know it sounds super simple, but it, it I take solid inventory with that. Um, if you're able to run some mineral, you toss a little mineral out. Um, Otherwise, I'll even find, or can't say find, but I'll I'll even make some really early um, scrapes, and it's hit or miss on if some of the big boys like it when it's really early. I've had some bucks come in, hit it, and run off. You get one photo of them, though, at least. <laughs> you know, hey, they're in the area. They might not come right there again, but um, at least you know when they're in the, they're in the area, and that's really the strategy for, for early season. I know it's super simple, but that's that's really all it is there's no need to to muck it up and complicate it don't don't bury yourself back in these tick infested <laughs> areas and 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 just pull an inventory of what you have in that area and get get all your cameras out and and then from there using some of the other tips that I like to go off of that's where I start to really I guess you could say do the math and put pins on where I think some of these bucks are so first thing I do is just keep it simple inventory so yeah i'm right there with you i love those inside corners i love that bean corn transition line if you can find one of those um if you got a you know a, a if you have like a like a little grass you know like a 50 60 yard grass buffer that's yep. fairly short before oh, the yeah. beans that's money or even before the corn you know if there's corn and then a grass buffer and then the timber man you can get literally every buck that's on the property on that trail camera at some time throughout the year. Those um, waterways, those waterways yeah. in the cornfields, especially out here in Iowa, you, you get a camera in there and uh, for early season, you'll have so many bugs that pile out of there that you just, you would never realize they just use them in little ditch rows and waterways um, early season. I mean, there's water down in there. It's relatively cool. Those little ditches stay a few degrees colder. Um, you know, and as the corn grows up, they may or may not stay there. They might end up moving off to, to more of the beans, but, um, those are really good spots. I've seen a lot of big bucks late in the evenings, um, come out of, come out of those and like cross over into like a bean field. So those are some really kind of hidden gems that some people don't, you know, they're not thinking getting on corn that early and uh, just look for those big waterways that have a couple splits and hold some water. Those, those are really good for early season. Yeah, that's a good, 
good tactic for sure. Those those are good even, you know, all year round. If they have a little cover when that corn's standing, you know, later in the year, those are another hot spot for oh, yeah. catching bucks traveling in the rut as well. Um, so, we're you know, we're past the summertime. We're, we've got our inventory. Now let's get into just kind of a broad stroke of your your camera strategy. A lot of guys have different ways they utilize their cameras. So what's your overall strategy for trail cameras on public? So, I mean, first off, I, as many as I can, I'll buy the cheap, you know, Walmart, Tasca cams, Amazon cams, just as many as I can. One, they get stolen, unfortunately, but two, um, you know, I want to have, I can have a a crappy grainy photo, but a 160 is going to be a 160 in a grainy photo. I don't need to be like, oh, wow, he has like a third stick. I'm like, no, it's a shooter. Okay, we're good. Um, (laughs) But um, so I, I get as many as those as I can and I pick them up. And those are really my blanket cams. And what I mean by blanket cams, is those are my very easy access. Sometimes I put them in areas that are more towards getting closer to bedding and, and, and pinch points. But the only the only time I'm putting them in there is when you have bulletproof access. You're taking a creek in. Um, maybe it's like just off like a horse or a hiking trail. Um, but otherwise, those those crappy cameras, I'm just blanketing. You know, even even, you know, like everybody else up on food sources, man, where everybody hunts and just easy spots. And sometimes, sometimes they're, they're in just dumb spots where you're just like, Oh, here's a little trail. I'll throw a camera just to check. Cause you just never know with those spots, whether it's, you know, like, like we were talking about those waterways with the corn or like a little fence line, you just never know. So a lot of times I'm throwing them off of those. Uh, a lot of these roads that just cut through the public land areas, I kid you not, you know, 10 yards off a road. You'd be driving, you see a trail that crosses, you're like, hmm, I'll just throw cameras there. Especially if you have like neighboring food that's private. I'll go down that, you know, down that line and there'll be like four or five trails that come out of there. And I'll put those the, you know, those cameras there. And one, they're incredibly easy to check. You don't, you're not pressuring the deer trying to get in and out, checking all these cameras. You know, you're right off the road. There's already people there, but it's giving you inventory of what deer are moving to what food sources in my opinion food sources are i know a lot of guys really like bedding and they really like other guys really like food sources i i love both i really love both and i work them together and so you know when you're when you're especially down these roads and you put these cameras out and you're finding these bucks that are coming out it doesn't matter if it's two in the morning or midnight he's coming out and he's hitting this field that's where i start to see patterns and being able to you know we can get into the backtracking from there um we'll talk about that in a bit that's what i do with the basic cheap cameras i just blanket them um and i try still high value spots i'm not saying like oh you just see a trail you want to just throw it out there you can if you want you know if something piques your interest you get that gut feeling go with your gut throw a camera there let us you know let us sit come back and check it but um i do run some cell cams i will say i do run some cell cams and uh those are the cameras that once I've determined an area with uh, multiple high odds shooter bucks, then I determine the betting, which we can, again, we can get into how I determine the betting. And that's where I'll actually take those cell cameras in and uh, I'll set them up down in or near betting where maybe the access is a lot harder. You're not going to have a lot of as many people coming in there. And so you really don't, want to be going in there and kind of fudging things up 
sometimes where if I have multiple areas and I've ran out of cell cams because I'm not rich, I don't have that many cell cams, but uh, I will put my better, some of my better cams in, in those spots, but I just make sure that maybe it's not the optimal spot. I didn't get it right in bedding and maybe it's more on the edge, but I did find like a kind of a sneaky way that I could get in and I'm really minimizing my scent that's in there. So when I do go back and check it, because I will not, <laughs> and sometimes I go back, check them and I don't even hunt them. Um, I check cameras definitely more often than most people. Um, but uh, I, I still try to make sure that my access is as bulletproof as possible. And if I do shoot in there during season to end up checking them, I'm usually hunting right off that camera anyway. So that's kind of my overall strategy for the cheap cams and then my more expensive cams and just roughly how I, I just generally set them up. Yeah. I do a lot of this, the, uh, the right off the road kind of stuff. We, uh, one year I was just joking and I ran a, ran a cam off the, off the edge of a road, not too far in, in a spot that we hunted a buck early season and then kind of moved out and I was forgot it and it's one of those that you forget you know that it's even out there and then yeah. i remembered it and i was like oh i'm gonna go pull that cam and i called someone i'm like oh there's gonna be a double drop on there and it's good you know i missed it all and it's in this little trash bag kind of a spot and there was a like a 160 dark chocolate 10 double main beam drops <laughs> you know and i'm like what the hell never seen the deer before <laughs> in my life in the daylight, in the morning, and then that same evening, twice in the same day, daylight in that ridge. I was like, oh. And it was, you know, one of those spots that's right off a two-lane paved highway on a piece of public, and the camera yep. was 35 yards in there, you know? Well, and, and, that, and, that, and guys just don't, you know, everybody's out hunting, and a lot of guys anymore are going as, you know, with all the channels and whatnot, they're going as deep as they can because that's what everybody preaches and a lot of these little tiny spots where you can almost see through them by the end of October. And they're just these tiny little pocketed holes or tree lines, or a lot of guys don't, they don't put any thought into that. They don't really see that as potential for, for a big buck. And I'll tell you what, a lot of times I find some of my biggest bucks, my biggest, my oldest, the smartest, um, they're in this just tiny little, tree lines or hedgerows or small strips of thicket right you know sometimes by parking lots or bread off roads and and it's just because they're overlooked spots is really what it is and so yeah. if you can you know it's a ten dollar fifteen dollar camera you have enough of them just throw a camera in there i mean yeah, worst case a... you know you, you didn't you didn't find the buck you want but that's why i love those cheap cameras because you can you know you don't have to hunt it to be wrong and you know i'm wrong 40 times when i set up these cheap cameras but you know being right once gets me in the game that's all you need <laughs> yeah it feels good to be able to drive past that spot in the future and say okay that is a shit spot like or man that's a really good spot like you're always going to drive past that spot and think man i probably should do something and get something in there and then every time you drive past that spot you're going to think that until you get something in there and then you realize whether it's good or not and then uh, I've had those small spots like that change, like a buck that got killed that used it really frequently, and then there was nothing else in there except two-year-olds. Yeah, that's um, common. That's so, really common. You know, you got one buck that uses that area kind of exclusively. He That's his honey hole that he's found, and that deer dies. Then that's something you got to think about. Well, 
might not be as good as it was, but it's always something to keep in the back of your mind. Say, man, maybe another one to slip up in here. Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, if you find a spot like that, they're almost, they're almost always consistently good. You know, they're not like a, a fly by night spot. If you find one of those hidden hideaway spots, um, Mm -hmm. they're normally pretty consistently good, at least getting the picture of the giant that you're out there trying to find, you know, might not be daylight, but at least, you know, he's alive. And any picture is a is a piece to the puzzle. Exactly. And another thing too, a lot of these spots, you know, we keep talking about it. They're small. And what's small mean? It's it's essentially a natural pinch. And what's you know that mean? It means you know getting in and on them, assuming you can play the wind right and and whatnot. You know that that's going to play into your advantage because instead of you know hundred acres of timber and three ridges that you're he you know a buck's usually running now it's like you know forty yard strip of thicket and you just 10 feet off the road, assuming it's legal, you know, 10 feet off the road and you're sitting up and you're looking down in. And if he's breaking that in daylight and he's going through there, well, it's a chip shot, man. Yeah. <laughs> definitely narrows them down for you. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's get into, you know, we kind of went into the summertime, you know, it's, it's October. You've already got some of the September, October, you've got some of the, the inventories done. Now, how are you utilizing them cams to get on those bucks in season? Yeah. So, so again, it plays heavily off of when I'm taking my inventory, let's just say when I'm taking inventory, especially as we get, we start the transition towards or into the beginning of October there, you're, you're going to start getting those nighttime pictures of those bucks, that buck that you've been seeing in daylight in that bean field, you know, every day, all day. Now, all of a sudden he's, he's shifted and now he's, he's more into his, you know, what would be in season rut range for his, his bedding area. And so it's, he'll go from like popping out at dark to you'll get a picture of him at midnight and he'll be consistent. And a lot of guys have these, the consistency um, with those bucks. But the cool thing is, is what you can do is you can take your camera. Maybe if you have multiple in that area and you're getting him, that's even better. But what you can do, and this is what I do. This is where we start getting into backtracking. So we get this buck, let's say he's popping out off the end of this finger of this bean field at like midnight and he did it three times that week. Well, you'll open up your, you know, open up your weather app or whatever. And you go, Oh, he's doing it on a South wind. And then he popped out the other night at like three in the morning and it was a North wind. Well, beautiful. You just, there's so much information in that, that, that people don't, I don't think fully realize, but that the fact that he, he did that multiple times with that South wind and it was midnight, what you can c- gather from that is that his south wind bedding area is significantly closer than his north wind. And and obviously winds change, bedding areas are, are, are different. So this is just an example um, that I'm giving here. But with the understanding of, you know, the, like the beast style tactics and how bucks bed based upon the wind, you can open your map up on public and go, all right, so – He's coming in here. He's midnight. He's on this food source, source south wind. So you know his general direction by the trail he's taken. You know it's not always easiest path, but a lot of times you maybe you have a draw that runs up that point. So it's like, all right, he's down that draw probably, or off one of the fingers off that draw. You have a south wind. He's mid, you know, of roughly midnight. Look at your area. You know if. if the area is vast and timbered and wooded and, and, you know, you know, these bucks have to travel a long way commonly to get to food sources. Well, you know that 
that that's going to determine like how long you're going to give. So a lot of times if I know that, um, that the deer in the area move pretty quickly. So like out here in Iowa, there's, we don't have super, super vast and really deep, like, like maybe as when like Wisconsin, we have just deep, deep, deep public miles and miles and miles. Those do have to move a long way to get to food. So they're up earlier and they probably move a little quicker versus, well, I wouldn't say quicker, but they, they get to food sources, you know, relatively, uh, they have to move there to get there to actually feed in time. So when you have these areas like in Iowa, where, uh, these bucks that are, that are bedded up, they don't have to, you know, they can be like half a mile and that's deep for them. So a lot of times when you're getting that buck at like midnight and you're starting to like try to think and, and backtrack that buck, I like to do, like especially out here and because again, we don't have these vast areas. For me, it's about a hundred yards an hour and that's, it's rough. I mean, it changes with the different deer, but you can, you can kind of really kind of break that down. And I do about a about hundred yards an hour. And so I break that down from dark and I start looking and that, that'll be like, you'll end up being like, okay, so like you're talking five, 600 yards, south wind bedding, and you draw like, you know, a, a relatively decent circle. Let's draw a circle like, you know, 800 by 800 yards or a thousand by a thousand yards. You look in that general direction and you've backtracked to the rough time you look in that area for south wind bedding and you know if you've done your scouting you'll be like okay well there's this ridge point in there you know or like this island or this this you know this uh i guess terrain break that would set up for south wind bedding in that general direction in that general time frame and then from there you know if you already don't have cameras in there a lot of times I'll have other cameras towards that direction already. Then you can start checking those cameras for that buck. And for me, most of the time, you know, I've, I've kind of dialed my area in. So I know roughly how fast and far they move. And most of the time it's just like, bam, yep. There's the direction South wind. I have a couple ridges in here. Really? This is his, it's going to be this area. He's going to be in here and I'll move in there. And it's like, sure enough now i'm on that buck and obviously closing that that final distance is a whole nother thing but at least knowing that you've gotten into the ballpark that is huge and that's that's how i generally start to backtrack them you get those more those those vast areas and i i've noticed some of those areas i've seen bucks do like 200 yards in an hour maybe even three, but that's pushing it. 300 yards an hour is pretty quick. It's usually only like rut stuff where they're really, really moving. Um, but, you know, generally I think about a hundred yards an hour is, is what I, is what I see. And, and if, you know, if you're in small, very tight tent, like blocks, um, you know, it's going to be less than that. You're talking, it can be like 50 yards an hour. I mean, I mean, you look at those, some of those videos where you got bucks that stand up and they're a hundred yards away and it took them an hour to walk, you know, to, to get the shot off at the, you know, the guy, the guy actually shooting, he's only a hundred yards away. So it, I think it depends on the scale of the area you're hunting and that'll determine how fast those, those bucks actually move to that. And so if you get a buck, that's like only an hour, you know, maybe after dark, um, and sometimes he's even borderline daylight that's a he's probably betting fairly close to that food source and those are the fun ones because from there it's it's like okay south wind close to the food source i have two options and you'll go in there and you know 
unfortunately I've blown a lot of bucks out doing that, but it's like, you uh, you know, try to get in on them and, and obviously closing the, the, uh, that last distance is the hardest part, you know, just because they set up in some bulletproof areas. But, uh, that's, that's like a brief you know, <laughs> understanding of what I do for my backtracking right there. Yeah. The, the fact that you're, you're, you're breaking it down, like you said, that the hundred yards, I feel like that's probably pretty accurate. Those bucks, people think that they move a long ways. And um, I know a lot of people will say this, but it, it, it's true. It's, it's property dependent. Like you said, if, if you're on something with a lot of ag and they have a lot of options, those deer aren't going to have to move as far. But if you have something that's limited ag, you know, and these deer are bedded way back in there, they're going to start moving a lot, or, you know, a lot earlier, like you said, to get to the food. Um, but it seems like a lot of those pictures that time of the year are that like an hour and a half after dark, two hours. Like they're just close enough to where you kind of get antsy, you know, you're like, Ooh, maybe yep. I got a shot, you know? And, um, but like you said, then you got to start, that's when that, you know, people are really adamant on the postseason scouting, you know? And, yep. and what I feel like people miss the mark on is you kill them off of understanding how they're working the property with the intel that you get this year. Yeah. So you don't kill them off the intel that you got last year solely. You're combining the intel that you got last year plus the most recent intel and making a plan on that. Like you said, once well, you kind of know where these bucks are bedded, and then you can you can really start to put the pieces together because you're like you mm -hmm. said, you're okay. There's a you know I found that buck bedding area or that buck bed, you know, 200 yards off the field. Could this you know, would that work? Would this field work good for a south wind? Then you might have the exact spot that this deer's bedding. Yeah, sometimes it's really close. And, you know, to kind of elaborate, too, on the uh, – because guys are going to – you know, the first thing they're listening to this, they're going to go, well, that buck starts to move. You know, the, the time gets later and later as season goes on. Well, a lot of that has to do with pressure, and they have tiered bedding. So as you get later in the season, you need to start looking deeper and deeper for tiered bedding. A lot of times they're not bedding as close to the food. So, you you know, you're talking early October or something like that. They can be within 100 yards of, of the food source, and they just don't even get up until dark. And then by the time they walk that 100 yards, it's an hour after, you know, it's hour after dark and, but it's tiered bedding. And a lot of that is determined based upon pressure. And so you'll notice the same buck. He'll just get like an hour later by the end of the month. And then as November's rolling around an end, he's like an hour later again. And uh, he's just, he's shifting his, his bedding because he's been pressured. You know, he's either, he's smelt you, you've come in there and even just hunted on the field edge. And he's been like, man, I, I only missed this guy by a little, his scent, you know, the scent strong right here. I only, I only missed whatever, you know, this predator by a little bit of time. And so he starts to tear that bedding back. And as they tear back, you need to, you need to work with them. And that's where cameras i think are amazing because i know a lot of guys just they don't like them or they don't want to use them or they're you know i absolutely love them and, and it, i don't think in any way it kills you the deer at, by no means but it it definitely gives you puzzle pieces that you can put together and and especially starting to watch them tear back so like let's say you go into an area bucks doing the same thing over and over and over and you're hunting the west side of this ridge off this draw and you're like man this buck has to be really close and you hunt it and he pops out and does the same thing the next two nights and you're like all right and then you shift over and you hunt 50 60 yards away maybe you're on the right side of the ridge the east side of the ridge this time and you hunt and then 
you know, you step out, you get out of there, same wind and everything, and all of a sudden he's like a half hour later. Well, guess what? He's probably to the east somewhere. He was probably closer to you. Like that's a puzzle piece. And so you know that, okay, so maybe this draw splits. He's coming down this east side. I got out of there. I'm still not far enough back, but he he definitely probably caught my ground scent. He probably caught some wind, or maybe I did push in, and I he ended up seeing me, and he just stayed in his bed, you know, 100 yards away, 150 yards away, and he just watched me the whole night, you know. Uh, that's they, – they'll do that too. And so that's where you're like – but at least you know now he's like he's, – he's close. I haven't boogered him up too much. And he's down. He's he's you know already in this direction, and now you've you know narrowed it down even more. And, and a lot of times at that point, you're like, he's there. It's really that simple. He's 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 there. He's there. And obviously the conditions change, things change. The buck's not going to bed in the same spot on the same ridge all the time, even with that wind over and over. They can, they actually can, but they won't. But it at least you're narrowing it down. And at the end of the day, as many the more puzzle pieces you have the more likely you have an opportunity to kill that buck and i think that's what everybody wants at the end of the day yeah and like you said sometimes those deer are right they're really really close to the field edge especially if they haven't been pressured yet you know they might not be getting to that field till dark but they might only be 75 yards you know we, I, we killed a buck opening day of season um two years ago in the evening and that deer was 75 yards from the food source and we killed him 20 yards in, you know. We, yeah. And he probably he would have been on. It rained that night. Um, they had picked the cornfield and chisel plowed it. <laughs> so <laughs> he was trying to – he had to go further. Like he had to skip a field. So he got up earlier that night. And uh, they were actually chisel plowing the field right when we got out there. They ended up stopping. Um, so he had already known that that field was picked. So he actually got up earlier to move to ag quicker, but he was only 75 yards. And the way we figured that out is we went in there in the rut and set up, and we had a buck bedded. We we did a hang and hunt, and we could hear one coughing. We had a three-year-old bedded 65 yards from us, and that deer in November was 25 yards off the field edge, bedded yeah, in just a little bowl in the timber. And uh, yep. I've seen does do that a lot. Like those especially, and uh, a lot of people were saying, man, I've seen a buck, you know, kind of in a weird spot right on the edge of a field at a weird time. And more than likely, a lot of during the rut, I feel like I know multiple places where does bed and a little drop off ridge right off the edge of the field. Like you walk into the timber, you bump the does. Like that's how that's, close they are. That's that. And in a perfect world where there's not people walking in there all the time, that's I mean, that's almost, those are, you know, here to day, here to stay. They're so almost perfectly predictable. They love their, once they have a spot, that's their spot. That's where they are. It's very small. They don't, they don't bed based on when they bed as a safety as like a group. And so they, they find their little spot, they bed there. And, you know, that's again, if you, I mark doe bedding areas just as much as I mark a buck bed because a lot of times in that in the rut, if the wind sets up, I know there's a couple spots, and I'm really excited to get into this year where I know there's multiple does that bed in there. I'm just going to go in really early. I don't even care if I blow them out. I'm going to go in early, and I'm going to set up because I know these does come in, and they bed off these spots, and I know there's adjacent buck bedding on either side, and there's going to be a buck who's going to cruise through there. No, one, there's going to be a camera there. Two, going in there in the rut – it's it, it's going to be phenomenal. I already know some of these areas are phenomenal, and it's just 
that's something that a lot of guys are like, oh, it's does or oh, we're close to a field. It's like you should mark that because you never know. Yeah, this the spot that I'm thinking of, you know, exclusively is I it's on the neighbors. I can see it from mine, the way it kind of sets up. And uh the same four does the last two or three years have bedded in that same spot. You know, and, and they come out and in the morning sometimes they go past me, sometimes they do a circle and come in, in the other way. Um and uh, in the evening, sometimes they exit right out for me, and sometimes they go the opposite direction. They're kind of a random, yeah. random does, kind of wherever they want to go feed is which way they go. And I think a lot of times it's which way the yearling gets up and kind of mm-hmm. starts traveling that way, and then the rest of them are like, okay, we're going this way tonight, you know, because they're, well, they're safe. Um, yep. But there's always a buck that comes and checks that bedding throughout the year, and it's always yep. that, like, very, very first thing in the morning – or nine o'clock like after yeah. everything's kind of settled down then oh, oh shit it all hell breaks loose because there's two bucks that come up in this bedding area and every year i i'm like i'm gonna figure out when these girls are hot like i gotta mm-hmm. figure it out and i just can't seem to pinpoint when those does are hot because the bucks go in there and then they leave i'm like yep. man there's got to be one doe in there <laughs> but i can't seem to to narrow it down to that, you know, three, four day gap when yeah. they come, one comes into heat to know, all right, you know, that those does are in heat, um, you know, and, but like you said, there is adjacent buck bedding and the buck bedding's on mine. And a lot of times there are bucks that go in there and bed, you know, after they check those does midday, they'll go up in there and bed for a little while. And I can actually see bucks bedding from one of my stands and then get up and circle out and, and continue their day. Yeah. So, so that's, uh, yeah. couple things there. One that the does, um, deer, I mean, any animal really, they understand, I mean, it's not that they can understand it, but they, their bodies understand and their instincts understand they know what they need for nutrition. So a lot of times it could definitely be the fawn, but I think what it could possibly more be is when you have mul- that multiple adjacent food sources, those deer, they, they can't eat the same thing every single day. It's just like a human. They need variety within their diet and they know where they get that variety. Maybe there's, you know, some, uh, you know, browse down at the bottom of that, that ravine that ha- is particularly high in a, some nutrition type, or there's acorns at the top of the ridge or there's clover up over here. So they're, what they're, probably doing most likely is they're actually traveling to the, the that type of food source that they need for that time they, they go eat this field three days in a row and they're like okay i'm missing whatever nutrients i'm not that much of, I, sorry i'm not a full biologist here uh but they're like i'm missing this nutrients and they know that they their bodies can determine that and, and crave that and so you know i i it would be like a craving within a human they're like i crave this and they're going to get up and they're going to go that way so that's kind of the the food thing for does why it's it's not fully random i mean it is obviously to a point but it's not like a fully randomized thing and bucks are bucks are just like that too that's why they don't always bed in the same spot on the same wind even though that's the better bedding they'll bed in maybe a suboptimal spot that's more adjacent to a food source that they're going to get up and hit or they hit in the middle of the night because that's the type of food source during that time of year during that phase that they're needing to supply themselves with the energy, you know, that they need at that time. And, and moving on to the, to the rut, I was just going to say, and you said it perfectly, you said you're trying to pinpoint that, that time period when they're, they're hot. Yeah. I mean, that's money. If you can get, if you can see when they're hot and you know that, okay, 
you know, this doe group's hot this time. And I mean, there's going to be clockwork. So those does are going to come in within like a day or two, the same time, as long as they're not shot and they're still alive the same time every year. So you're like, all right, it's, you know, November 5th through the 8th, this doe's coming in over here. And you know that you had a buck that was kind of cruising that area earlier in the summer and he kind of fell off the face of the earth or you're only getting real late nighttime pictures. Well, guess what? You need to be in there hunting those does now. Get in on them, set up on those does, be downwind because that buck's probably going to know he's been there. You know, you're talking a five, six-year-old, seven-year-old buck. He's done this multiple times. He's going to go, hey, it's that time of year again. It's just like how guys say the bucks do the same thing every year. They get a photo within a day or two of this buck cruising through during the rut. They have internal clocks just like we do. They're just more in tune to it. And so that buck's going to go, hey, it's about that time. I need to go check that doe group on that that pocket up there. And he's going to cruise through. And so if you got the right wind and it sets up well and you know that group's hot, that's, you know, that, that's really good. I mean, that's how I got on Caesars. I knew I went back there and I was like, I know these does are coming in. Or this little, I knew this like fawn was coming in. She's always late. She's always this time. I need to get in there. And I got in there and sure enough, boom, there he was. And he was on her too. And that's just, man, that's just what it is. That's a fantastic. I mean, if you're just, if you're just a straight rut hunter and that's all you want to do, and that's your big thing, that's a fantastic method. Just go find the does, know when they come in and just bounce around for your, your two weeks, you know, three, four days on this group, three, four days on that group, you know, knowing when they come in and you're, you'll be on something. You know, I can't say it's a booner, but you'll be, you'll shoot some, some kind of buck's going to come in there on them. Yeah. That's one of the hardest things to me is like, I could, those does, I'm like, I'm going to shoot one today. And then they come in. I'm like, I can't shoot these does. They're like <laughs> clockwork, man. They're, I, I don't they're always I, in I'll there. Be honest, I'm like, I, don't. I can't shoot. I can't shoot them. I can't shoot them, you know. And, and no one else is hunting there or the neighbors. So I'm like, they're safe. They're just going to be my bread and butter. Um, yep. In the last two years, I've almost killed a buck off. I'm like, so yep. close edge. And that I just need a little more luck on my side and. I blew it. I blew it to this year. I rattled two bucks in and, uh, on, they were on those does and they were kind of separate from each other. One was cruising to them and one was over there and I rattled and they kind of met each other. So it worked Mm -hmm. out perfect and they were together. And then I rattled again and then they were both kind of cruising my way. Like what the heck? And, uh, then they kind of hung up, you know, the, they did the hang up at 80 yards or whatever. And I was like, oh, I'm going to snort wheeze at one. And I snort wheeze and I turned around and there's another buck that was three steps from the base of my stand and seen me snort wheeze. And he took off running. <laughs> so they decided they're going to take off running too. You know, they didn't know what was going on. They just seen a buck. But that deer came, that spot is one of those spots where I am 20 yards off a road of a subdivision. Like there's yep. a subdivision within 500 yards of me, 300 yards of me. And it's like, I don't know where that deer come. He might've come out of someone's backyard. Like he, it was just a weird angle for him to be coming in there. Um, <laughs> the more and more, the more and more I hunt, the closer and closer I get to houses and people, the more, more and more excited, excited yeah. I get about big deer. It's, yeah. it's, it's starting to transition <laughs> into that. You know, like we were talking about those little fence rows and stuff and, and, um, yeah, but I would throw a camera if, if somebody out there is here and listening and they're like, hey, you know, I have a doe group like that. Put a camera on them. Yeah. I know it's you may be like, oh, that's a waste. I want to put it on this pinch that's really awesome for this crossing. It's like, put a camera on them because if you know they're betting, always betting in this little area and you can get an idea for when they come in. 
that's money. And I, I do that with my cameras too. That's why that's why I run so many of them. I have so many different methods and, and little things that I do is obviously you put them on the pinches, obviously you inside and outside corners, obviously the big trails, you know, the, 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 the hubs and, you know, those are the obvious spots, but like, you know, those, those little tree lines, there's little fence rows, those road crossings, the doe groups, those are the, those are the, the, the little honey hole spots. Those are the ones where you start getting, instead of the broad information, okay, the buck was in here. He's been in here three times, you know, every year, the same time, it's always 3am. You know, this is a great pinch, but it's like, okay, but now you need to determine what's he doing like in his spare time. Right. Yeah. Like you want to, and that that's a lot of times those, those cameras in those optimal spots, there's those little areas like that. That's where you start putting the actual puzzle pieces together and, and doing that and understanding the wind. And you can really start to pattern, truly pattern these, these bucks. And man, that's, that's, it really comes down to, you know, like I've, I've gotten on a lot of these bucks and it's like, I'll get in there, start getting on them. And then, you know, it sounds so, <laughs> so crappy, but I'll be like, Oh, it's another one thirty. <laughs> yeah. like, oh yeah. So it's just another one thirty, whatever. And I'll move off of it. And, uh, you know, obviously the more the mature buck is the better in tune he is to his instincts. And a lot of times the less he moves and the harder he becomes to, to see, but man, that's just, a lot of that is is what I do with my cameras. Um, you know, kind of a broad spectrum is early is food, mid is bedding, and then late is food again. Yeah. You know. So let's get into real quick here. Um, you know, it's November. Are you moving those cams a lot this time of year? Are you still going trying to collect that stationary data, or how are you going about um, that November time frame? So usually about the third week of October, I've transitioned. I'll tra- so I'll have my summer cameras, and then around a, about a week or two before October, I transition them into the my first phase, my first tiered, first and second tier bedding, and then which is you know obviously relatively close to food still, but still good bedding opportunity for for hunting. And then usually around the third week of October, I know a lot of people hate this, especially for public, but I'll get out there and I'll transition my cameras again. And now it's usually second to third tier bedding. Um, you know, if I, if I pull a camera and it's, you know, a couple, couple days before November and it's first bedding and there's still the, the big bucks in there still, and he's relatively daylight, um, you know, I'll leave the camera. Cool. Good information. I don't got to push back, but 80%, 90% of the time it's like, all right, he's gone. All right. Look at the map. Where's the second tier, you know, or if I don't have a camera in second tier, where's third tier and like go in there. And again, it's all about access. So I'm not just like trudging through and like blowing everything out. If I can't get in and hunt it anyway, there's no point in me putting a camera there unless I'm soaking it. And I'm not super big on soaking cameras. Um, it's great for the next year's Intel, but I, I just, I guess I'm more of a, I want my Intel now person. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm like right now, right here. And so I'll just go, okay, here's where I think third tier bedding is. Here's where I think I could ambush them coming off of bedding to food. And this is how I would get in to hunt. This is where I want to hunt. And from there, I'm, I'm moving in. I'm setting a camera, usually hunting it for the night and or the morning. And then I'm backing out. And then I'm coming back probably right around the first week of December. First week of December is when I – first week or right around December, that's usually when I do my third, my third transition in season for cameras. And I'll just go through, and, and usually I spend the whole day. And it's – you know, my e-bike helps me immensely, but 20, 30 cameras. Um, I've had up to 40 and 50 at one point where it took me a couple days to do it. 
but uh, like I said, people got sticky fingers, and so I keep losing them, even with locks and putting them high, man. And uh, but um, then usually around that December time frame, I move them again, and that move again is usually kind of in transition where uh, the a lot of the bucks have disappeared and they're moving off to that late them late season food source areas and so primarily i'm right back to food i mean i'm right back to like square one where i was running my cameras in september right on right on food right on field edges and um you know a lot of times you're getting nighttime photos of them but you know when they're even getting nighttime photos late season is tricky man especially on public because you can you might get a 3 a.m photo or like a 2 a.m photo of a buck and that buck could still only be like 100 200 yards off the food source it's just that late season if they don't have to get up they can conserve that energy and it's such high pressure they want to be as close as they can to the food because they don't want to be expending that energy they're no longer in that that mindset anymore for the rut they can be you know it's nice sometimes you catch them like that but um you know you just really you want to focus back on food and primarily that's what i do is through through december it's just food 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 and um you know trying to trying to find a buck who's maybe long lining out, you know, out the food and, and trying to intercept them. Um, for me, it's muzzleloader season, late December and January. So, you know, first week or two is trying to find a buck on public that's alive yeah. and moving in daylight and using a food source that it's either adjacent to public or on public. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I mean, 80% of my bucks drop off because out here, so many people have food plots and proper food sources and, and, whatnot that the bucks are just like screw public i'm not gonna go eat pine cones yeah <laughs> i'm gonna go a mile away by this private you know private ad field that the dude left standing and that that's where you guys you know on the, these shows are seeing 50 60 deer a night and you know 15 20 bucks actually a couple you know i'm primarily i'm pretty much 100 percent public but i did do a couple private land hunts i will say last year and i was uh, blessed to be allowed on to uh, Blair Goins farm um, from the rival. He let me go out there and hunt uh, late muzzleloader for a couple days and um, just to see if I could take like a call buck because I wasn't able to fill my bow tag because uh, of the Caesar incident, which we got the videos out there of why I didn't get him. But, um, you know, he let me come out there. And so I do have a couple videos and I was seeing like 50 deer a night. And that's just because all the deer in that area are piling into the only food source. So yeah, it's crazy. You know, that's, it's it's yeah. feast or famine that time of year, man. You either got them yep. or you don't got them. Yeah, it's it's in in the words of Bill Winky, I'd hate to be a public land hunter in <laughs> in late season. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, he's 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 made mention of that a couple times, and uh, it's it's rough if you don't have a lot of time, you don't know where the food sources are, the adjacent food sources. A lot of times you have to get extremely creative about what food sources these bucks are going to. And, and most of the time, what ends up coming down to is your big predominant dominant mature bucks have, have moved off. And now you're looking at a lot of four-year-olds. Um, uh, there are a lot of the four-year-olds that kind of pushed into these areas and there's like a suboptimal food source. And sometimes you can find a truly big buck who just doesn't want to move. And, and I actually have a, I have a really big buck who, I, in fact, I just put the video out today about him that I've determined how he moves and and where he sets up and he's just he loves his his spot on it's it's this tiny little feeder finger ridge, super steep and that's just he switches from that side to the other side of the gully and I've determined from hunting around the area and talking to other people and kind of literally going in and bumping him out um after season and seeing him that 
that's just his home and doesn't matter even in the late season he chose to sit in a suboptimal food area just because that's that's just what kept him alive you know for whatever reason that's him and that's fantastic he's going to be in some serious trouble coming this <laughs> this season um especially if it, if it goes through bow and gets in the you know in the late muzz for me um if he can make it through and do all that and nobody else gets in on him he'll be in some serious trouble then but uh, yeah so you know it's all it's all fluid it all moves and 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 you, you really that's why i like to move i like to move so much and and my my opinion is people are on public anyway there's they're already used to people being in and out of these areas unless you're walking into their 50 yard 80 yard little betting pocket i mean there's already pressure in there so i'm just yeah. gonna move my cameras anyway yeah you don't know what everybody else is doing there's so much pressure out there it's it's wild wild west so well yep. before we wrap this up um is there anything over the years that you've you know, learn, you know, a tactic or a trick for, for improving public land, uh, cams. I think so really, man, it just ties, it ties back in to being able to understand where bucks bed based on the wind. You know, that's, if you really want really good pictures, like daylight pictures of, of big bucks, you really have to, go and watch the videos about how these bucks bed based on wind and different terrains, because that, that is not only will it just improve your hunting tenfold, but then going in and, and, and setting up these cameras and where you plan to come in and hunt, you're going to go from the guy who has nothing but nighttime photos to you'll be disappointed when you pull your card and it, the bucks like within 45 minutes, you're shooting like, you're like, Oh, dang. You know, yeah. and that's that's pretty wild when you're doing that, you know, and when you're expecting I, I play that edge real fine, real fine. So I could always push back. I'm I am I'm not as aggressive as like Dan Infault would be. Um so a lot of times and you can see that in a lot of my YouTube videos where the bucks are coming in within that last hour to half hour in a lot of my videos it's either really dark or you're seeing like a shadow moving and then i i put in the video i have to explain that i could see but i couldn't get a shot or i wouldn't shoot the buck off camera in the dark um and that's just because i i do i don't want to go in especially on public when you get that little 50 yard honey hole or 50 you know 50 yard to 50 yard honey hole bedding pocket on that buck if you blow him out and you force him out of there he's gonna probably falls somewhere else where somebody else is hunting and i would rather have two or three opportunities playing the close edge to him than just dumping in on him and that's my opinion though strictly my opinion and that's how i run my cameras too um and i think that that really works again when i'm talking about my hunting my cameras go where i hunt so it's it's rare you know and, and unless we're talking earlier late season where they're up in the food source your prime time season, my cameras are going on the tree or right in front of the tree of where I'm hunting. So it's, it's when I'm talking about this, just equate it right over to the cameras, your same thing, entry access in and out close to beds, using the wind, all that. It's the same thing. You're just doing that for your cameras. And then you're able to pull the card or run a cell camera and go, yep, this is where I need to be. This is how I got to get in there you know, hit everything else right, hit the wind, hit the timing, Buck's in there. He's not cruised three miles away because of some doe and, and, uh, boom, your, your daylight close enough and, and your access was clean and you just shot a monster buck. Nice. Well, I think that's a good way to end it, man. I appreciate you coming on. 
and sharing some trail cam knowledge. I know you got some people fired up, got me fired up um, to get out there and start getting those. Uh, even if it is nighttime picks, like you said, you can make moves off of that. So appreciate you coming on. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate that and I appreciate it. And it's always it's always a, a blessing to be on here and and I really enjoy it. And, and um, you know, I know I did a lot of talking, but if anybody wants to, to see anything of mine or any of my content, you guys are more than welcome to. Um, it's you know, just Public Land Whitetails, YouTube and Facebook. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate everybody who who listens and comes over and, and watches my content. And it, it really means a lot to me. And, and I really do it for to teach everybody stuff, but also just to to kind of show my passion and sh-